0: Welcome to the New Mexico News Podcast. Headlines and stories from the land of enchantment. Brought to you by KRQE. Here's Chris McKee and Gabrielle Burkhart.
1: Gabby, looking back on your school years, did you like school? I did. How I much? really
2: liked school. I was one Decided of those... every day? Uh, I, I never said, oh, I don't want to go to
1: school. That's which good. is
2: yeah, I think it's a good thing.
1: And teachers always come to mind. Did you have a favorite?
2: Yeah, Mr. Henry, my high school English teacher at Grapevine High School, shout out. He always made that class so fun. Also, my middle school yearbook teacher um, made an impression on me. She can encourage me to join the yearbook class. And then shout out to my college professor at University of North Texas, Phyllis Slocum, who to this day helps mentor and foster the next generation of journalism students there at UNT. I guess a lot of my favorite classes and most memorable teachers for me were centered around writing and creativity, and that really helped foster my desire to pursue journalism. No surprise, I guess. But Chris, what about you? Did you have any favorite teachers?
1: I would agree that I think my favorite teachers were always centered around writing and creativity. There was second grade. I think I wrote a story about a leopard that didn't have its spots or how it got its spots. That's what it was. And it was a project under Miss Graham's class in uh, second grade at the then Jefferson Elementary School in Corvallis, Oregon. That's where I I did all of my schooling was uh, I grew up in Corvallis. Oregon, and then went over to the University of Oregon uh, in Eugene for college. And then I moved here in 2013. So did not have the New Mexico school experience, but a lot of great memories from Oregon. And yeah, I think, I think uh, the teachers that are the best are the ones that challenge you to learn, but also recognize your personality and I don't know, just let you to have fun, allow you to have fun in yeah, their courses They Yeah, really too, made learning so.
2: fun. It's, it's kind of crazy how you can look back and think, at least for me, on one hand, I can count the teachers that really made an impression on me yeah. in all the years that we did school.
1: Yeah. Well, looking at school and education in New Mexico, we know this state has no shortage of challenges. And it's certainly not the only state that has its challenges, we should be clear. But, Challenges here, it seems like lawmakers are always talking about them every year. Sometimes it feels like every day, whether it's testing or attendance or facilities or pay, there's a ton of elements to talk about when you're thinking about education. But we're going to focus on a different topic today than the ones I mentioned, specifically that is hiring and then keeping good teachers.
2: According to last year's New Mexico educator vacancy report done by the New Mexico State University researchers there, New Mexico has made some improvements in the last year. Our overall teacher vacancy rate dropped 34% from the year prior, meaning that's 358 more positions that were filled compared to the year prior.
1: There are a ton of ideas out there on how to help address recruitment and retention, and today we're highlighting a program aimed at doing that. With us here, the president of the Golden Apple Foundation, Alan Mather. Alan, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me today and to talk about this topic.
2: So, Alan, you served in the Chicago public school system for more than 30 years as a classroom teacher, then principal. Now you live in Santa Fe, New Mexico, but first- I want to start with the program that you're currently presiding over. Tell us, what is the Golden Apple Foundation in a nutshell?
0: In a nutshell, we um, recruit, prepare, and support teachers to teach in New Mexico schools. So we recruit seniors in high school through sophomores in college in New Mexico who attend New Mexico colleges and universities and commit to teaching in New Mexico schools for five years.
2: How did you get into that in, in your educational arc?
0: Yeah, and I mean I'm from rural Southern Indiana, so landing in Chicago in the Chicago Public Schools was kind of an odd thing. But I landed there. I spent a number of years as a high school English teacher. So shout out to you talking about your your English teachers. That was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And you know after that had the opportunity to be an assistant principal and a principal and eventually um, an assistant superintendent in the Chicago Public Schools. But when I was a principal, thirty of my students became future teachers with Golden Apple. They became Golden Apple scholars. I hired 13 Golden Apple scholars to teach in my school so I knew the power of the program. So once um, I was getting ready to retire, the uh, CEO of the Golden Apple Foundation was looking for a co-leader and um, she and I talked for about a year and then I joined in 2018, this issue of both filling the bucket with great teachers but also patching the holes.
1: So I understand there is also a golden apple out there. It's an award ceremony um, honoring excellence in teaching. And I don't want to get those two confused. Can you explain to me how is your golden apple different than maybe the other ones that people have maybe heard about as well about the, the awards? Absolutely. So we are sister organizations. So um, back in
0: 1985, Mike and his late wife, Pat Koldike were watching the Academy Awards. Pat turned to Mike and said, those should be teachers up there. And so in 1985, Michael, Mike Koldyke started the Golden Apple Awards for Excellence in Teaching in Illinois. Because he lived in Chicago and they had a ranch in Las Vegas, New Mexico, in 1994, he started Golden Apple in New Mexico. So we are sister organizations that support one another, and we do the Golden Apple Awards in Illinois, but Golden Apple New Mexico does those here in New Mexico.
1: Okay. So, and then your part of golden apple essentially here though, when we're talking about recruitment and retention, a slightly different focus.
0: Exactly. So one of our supporters who also lived in Chicago and in Santa Fe said, gosh, the teacher shortage is pretty bad in New Mexico. And we think it would be great if you came out. And so a few of us came out two years ago to really just talk to people and learn what the issues were, travel the state learn a number of the communities. And then we got support from foundations and later from the state of New Mexico to launch our program to um, recruit, prepare and support teachers. And how long has it been around? In New Mexico? Yeah. One year. One year. Okay.
2: Pretty new. Yeah. And so you're a nonprofit, right?
0: We are a nonprofit. And
2: so how is Golden Apple funded exactly? Do you get any state tax dollars or is it all donations?
0: so we are funded by philanthropic organizations by individual donations and by the state of new mexico so um in the last budget cycle there was a um, carve out for an organization that would recruit and support new people to enter the pipeline we applied for that and we received that
1: so let's talk about this program and how it is geared again towards recruitment and retention uh we talked about how long it has been around for about a year now How does it work though? Do do people have to apply? Do you go out and recruit people? How do you do it?
0: So people do apply. Sometimes that's from recruitment. Sometimes they're referred, but we recruit high school seniors through sophomores in college. These are New Mexico residents who are going to New Mexico colleges and universities and commit to teaching in New Mexico schools. And what happens is once we recruit every summer, Every summer. And if we bring them in in high school, that means for five summers, we are pulling them together on campuses around the state and supporting them financially. We pay them between two and four thousand dollars for one to three weeks of coming together on a college campus. Award winning teachers like those at Golden Apple New Mexico and Teach Plus New Mexico come in and teach those skills of how to be a great teacher. And then they return to their communities in the summer and work in schools in their community. So that's what we pay them to do. And then in their early years of teaching, we mentor them. For two years, we provide mentors to them to support them when teaching is the hardest. I mean, my gosh, I cried for the first 30 days when I landed in the Chicago Public Schools having no idea what I was doing. (laughs) Um, And it would have been nice to have
1: people to turn to. Why is it so hard in those first years?
0: So part of what you... uh, you know, what happens is you, you have this group of other educators, people who are in classes with you who are really supportive. Um, You go into your student teaching experience, you have a cooperating teacher who's there with you, someone to bounce ideas off of. And then early on, you're in a classroom, you're alone with 30 students. Like, yeah, I really don't know if I know what I'm doing. Yeah, So it's, as weird as it is to say early on it's a lonely profession when you're not going into a community you know, it, it it kind of is. And so that's what makes it hard. And that's why we bring all these undergraduates together to support one another, but also have mentors who are coming in.
1: It reminds me of a phrase that I've heard, the inner saboteur, somebody who is within your own self telling you you can't do what you're doing. You're not good enough. Um, you don't know what you're doing. And I feel like... Many times in early professions, whether it's teaching or maybe something else, that is there, is that that doubt that you have and whether or not you can do that. And I think you shed some light on a little bit of that feeling, it sounds like, is there in teaching as well.
0: It absolutely is. And one of the things we really work to do is return people to the communities they come from. Because that actually is a level of support, too. So whether they are from Albuquerque returning to Albuquerque, Laguna to Laguna, Roswell to Roswell, we want them returning to their communities because they're also more likely to stay.
2: And they have that built-in support system, most likely, right?
0: Absolutely. There are community members they can turn to, often family they can turn to. So that is another way to get support.
2: How many people have been through this program and, and what is the capacity for mentoring teachers that are trying to be retained, so to speak?
0: Yeah. So this has really grown over time. So I'll, I'll go back to Illinois for a minute. The first group of award-winning teachers there started the Scholars Program about three years in. So in 1989, there were 15 Golden Apple Scholars recruited. We're supporting 1,000 undergrads in Illinois right now. Wow. We just started with 34 in New Mexico this year. We are looking to have somewhere between 60 and 75 in the second class. Mm-hmm. So we see this continuing to grow, continuing to build and supporting more people going into teaching.
2: How is it going so far with those summer sessions and getting everybody together?
0: You know, it's awesome. Um, it's, first of all, one of the wonderful things is just when you bring undergrads together From people, you know, they're going to seven different higher ed institutions right now. And they come together and say, oh, my gosh, there are other people just like me who really care about teaching, who are passionate about teaching, who want to return to their communities. And even though they're from different communities, they're learning so much from one another. And, you know, that is really life affirming for them and for those of us who run the program.
1: What is happening here in this program that maybe doesn't happen outside of it? I think you've hit on some of these key points right then the idea of mentoring and a support system but maybe what specifically is happening within this program that doesn't happen outside of it
0: well there are a couple things i'd bring up Um, first higher ed does a great job and we partner with higher ed institutions but to get people who are currently teachers in k-12 who are teaching those skills that you need to really be successful, how to engage students. I mean, you talked, you both talked about having fun in your classes. Mm. How do you do that? And, you know, having real life experiences where they practice that on a regular basis and get feedback from their peers and from master teachers is great. The other thing, and this is changing in higher ed, but it used to be that you didn't get into the classroom until you did your student teaching your senior year. That's, that's not the best time to determine maybe teaching is it for you. <laughs> but, um, I can see that. So because they return to their communities, they're getting dozens of additional hours in classrooms before they even do their student teaching. And so having that additional experience with students, with classrooms, with the curricula just makes them better prepared.
1: What are some of the reasons that you see that teachers most commonly leave the profession
0: You know, there are so many reasons that that people leave the profession. Some of them leave just from life changes. There are those, though, and I think the number one reason is when teachers don't feel supported by administration. Um, Oftentimes, they don't know where to turn, and they don't understand why things are happening. I think with COVID, we've seen a mass exodus, too, of teachers, and people are just really struggling with what it meant to be hybrid and the expectations then put on teachers was pretty dramatic. And the preparation you need as an educator to be able to go in and support students in that sort of setting is just vastly different.
1: I wanted to ask about success, and I know that New Mexico is sort of in the infancy of this program, but obviously there's a lot of experience in Illinois already. How do you measure success? for something like this? Is it, you know, if the teacher stays on for three years at the same school or five years, what is the maybe success measurement if you have one?
0: Well, there are a few. So first we think it's important that our students reflect the community they serve. We know that students do better when they have someone from that community who reflects that community. So the more people we return to the community, the better we're doing. So 80% of our scholars return to within 17 miles of where they teach. That's happened over multiple years. Two, about half the people who go into teacher education programs in higher ed don't graduate with a teaching license. They switch to something else. They don't graduate. 82% of those we induct graduate with a teaching license. The other 82 we have is that 82% of our teachers stay in teaching for five years. Depending on the state, between 40 and 50, I think it's 44% of teachers in New Mexico leave within the first five years of teaching. So... Just the retention statistics alone are some of the ways that we measure what we're doing.
2: What, if anything, in your eyes, because you have experience coming from another state, you mentioned teaching in Chicago for 30 years, what makes New Mexico's educational system, you think, maybe unique and maybe its challenges as well?
0: Well, one of the truly unique things is just the rural nature of the state. I mean, I came from the Chicago public schools. They're basically the same number of students in the state of New Mexico, the fifth largest state by geography, as there were in the Chicago public schools. So how you support teachers in rural communities is particularly tricky. And that's one of the things, I think that's one of the great learnings. I love that I came from a rural community and been able to go back and and support students in rural communities. But I think you often in rural communities don't have the support network you have in other places and, you know, just within teaching. And so when people are teaching in a rural community, you need people who have experience in there. Sometimes there aren't the people who can relate and have that same experience.
2: You mentioned coming from the pandemic, on the heels of the pandemic, where everything was so different when it comes to the classroom and education, you know, people were trying to teach remotely and and back to in-person. Are there any challenges and issues that continue as a result of that, you think?
0: Yeah, I I think there are a few things. I think one is just the unknown. You don't know what's going to happen next. You don't know what sort of uh, situation you're going to be in preparing teachers to teach in a virtual environment, how to engage students at a high level, whether they're second grade or 11th grade, is very, very different. And so preparation is absolutely vital. I do think we're seeing still some of the exhaustion that happens that has come out of the pandemic. You know, it's fascinating in some sense that parents got to see what teachers did in a way they never did before. And in many cases, that's shown up as incredible support for teachers. In others, you know, teaching is the one profession that's so odd because everyone's an expert, because everyone went to school. That's <laughs> and, very true. Yeah, I, I hear you. And having people tell you what you should do is really hard for some teachers. Now, I'm going to flip that a little bit because – You both talked about teachers who inspired you. Mine was Ken Mann, my high school English teacher. Every place I go to recruit students, and I do that with Julie Lucero, who's our New Mexico chief program officer. The first question we ask is, how many of you had a teacher who inspired you? And almost every time, every student raises his or her hand. And it's like, you can have that impact on someone else. And so you don't always get it immediately, but students come back later or parents come back later and tell you the impact that you have had on them, on their children. And that's part of what makes teaching so affirming. While we're talking about the negative, let's flip it and talk about what's really wonderful about it too.
2: Yeah, I imagine it, it is difficult. We saw, you know, school board meetings get very heated over the last couple of years. You know, people arguing about COVID protocols and what books should or shouldn't be in the library. So I know there's a lot of challenges, but I guess what do you see as the biggest challenge in keeping people in their communities to teach and fill that gap of vacancies that we continue to have? I know in the report, one of the things that stuck out to me was the highest vacancy rate year over year is special ed. And those are really needed positions
0: oh my gosh special education bilingual education early childhood education those are all huge needs within the state and yes the the politics you've brought up um, at school boards across the nation it absolutely an issue and my wish is that when you go to a school board meeting the first question is what do teachers need to lead their students (laughs) And as long as that question gets answered first then you can start going into other things but if we don't support teachers we are going to lose them i mean new mexico also has one of the greatest percentages of teachers over 55. so the gray wave is coming as well Mm. so the need for new teachers to come into the profession is vast and so how do we support them how do we give teachers voice in the classroom around what's happening at the school too you know I would say if we go all the way back to No Child Left Behind and the testing that was so intensive at that time, there were a number of expectations put on teachers without the support on the front end to say, how do we get there? So we did a lot of test prep and test prep. And it's also hard to inspire students to be teachers if you're doing a lot of test prep. But the best preparation for a test is a strong curriculum and excellent instruction. Well, how do you do that?
2: Mm -hmm.
1: What ultimately is the benefit of keeping teachers within their community? Because ultimately there's a need for teachers everywhere, no matter if they're from here or not. But what ultimately do you think is the benefit of keeping somebody local within their local community?
0: Yeah. And I think we can take this a few different ways. Um, And I really appreciate that question because I think it's important. I think in communities of color in particular, Having someone from that community who is teaching so students see themselves reflected in the teacher, we know that that's important. We know from test data, we know from grades, we know from college aspirations that those are important factors. In many rural communities, you are rarely going to get someone to stay in teaching in a rural community who is not from that rural community. It's much more common to have someone staying in an Albuquerque, a Las Cruces, a Santa Fe, if they are from another place. But, but that's a tough piece. The other thing that's really interesting, and I know you asked about some of the unique qualities of New Mexico, is that there are places that are too expensive for new teachers to move in. Mm. And unless there's someone some support network family there. It, it's really tough. It's tough for a teacher to be hired in Taos. It's tough in JAL for someone to be hired because housing is so expensive. And so there are places building teacherages here, teacher housing specifically because of that, which is really, really interesting. But that's another reason to have people from the community.
1: It, it is an interesting point to to consider that When somebody relocates to, say, New Mexico and picks a job out in a rural district, there is, it sounds like, a likelihood that they're probably not going to stay in that rural district if they came from elsewhere. Fewer people, fewer connections to services and, and everything else. So
2: One more thing that came up, because one of the big issues that I think is always talked about in New Mexico is learning loss, right? You've heard that term, I'm sure, a lot lately, and especially again, coming back from the pandemic when kids did lose a lot of classroom time. Do you think that this program being successful year over year, and if we are able to fill that gap of teachers and teachers who are really invested in their communities, do you think that would have like a trickle down effect and help tackle that issue for kids who maybe are behind right
0: now? I think it's it's not only the teacher shortage, right? It is having well-prepared teachers who are ready on day one to teach. (laughs) And so that is what I would argue is what our program does, is prepares them better. So yes, the better prepared they are, the more engaged students are in a way that advances their learning, not just engaged for the sake of engagement, (laughs) is going to help with that. But I also think their districts are doing really innovative things. Um, You know, Las Cruces has gone on a year-round schedule. They start school in early July because some of the learning loss that happens is summer learning loss. Now there are ranching communities where that can't happen because of work that has to happen. But if you're in uh, if you're in certain communities such as Las Cruces, that may be a great option too.
1: Golden Apple right now has somewhere more than thirty right of these undergrads going through the program. Do you see latitude to expand the program to even more over the coming years?
0: Oh, absolutely. No, I I think. In Illinois, we typically open the recruitment cycle in September and close it in April. In New Mexico, we opened it in April <laughs> and closed it um, right at the start of the academic school year. So it was it was a tight timeline, and for people who didn't know about our program to get the word out, that was absolutely the, the fact that we got thirty four was pretty amazing. But we absolutely see this continuing to expand to address the teacher shortage and having high-quality teachers in classrooms from across the state. I mean, we have we have scholars from Farmington. We have them from um, Eunice, <laughs> We have them you know, from Portales. They're just, in Albuquerque, and Santa Fe, and Las Cruces. They're from across the state, but the, the more that we can get the word out and have people in those communities talking about this, the greater we're going to see it expand as well
2: what are the requirements for an applicant to be able to get into this program? And then how do you guarantee that they do stay in
0: New Mexico? Oh, that's a beautiful question. Um, so the requirements to get into the program, first, a commitment to teach, that we do have a 2.5 minimum GPA um, for the application. People can go on and apply. Then we interview them and really test their um, their commitment to teaching. The effort to keep them... In New Mexico, there are a couple things. One, we are directing them toward the state of New Mexico's paid co-teaching residency. Um, So the state of New Mexico, because of the teacher shortage, in an effort to keep people in, has a $35,000 paid co-teaching residency. If you are are becoming a senior in college with your teaching license and you do a full year of student teaching basically student teaching in a co-teaching situation, the state will pay you $35,000 with that commitment to stay and teach in New Mexico schools. So that's part of the incentive as well. But if you're with us five summers and you're building relationships across the board and you are going into your home communities to work in schools in your communities, the likelihood that you're gonna stay is pretty great. And that's what we've seen.
2: Alan, is there anything that we didn't ask you that you feel like is important to share?
0: I think it's really important to share that the application is open. It is open. Okay. Goldenapple.org slash scholars, new Mexico. There's a hyphen between scholars, new and Mexico. Um, If you go to goldenapple.org and just look for scholars too, you'll find it. You can start an application there. If you're listening and you know, someone, uh, senior in high school, freshman or sophomore in college, who you think would make a great teacher. You can also refer a scholar. There's a refer a scholar link. You click on that and we'll reach out to them and say, somebody thinks you're going to be a great teacher. Mm -hmm. What do you think about applying?
2: Okay. And when does the applications close?
0: So it says April 1st, but I'm going to give you the scoop. It's really going to be April 15th. So
1: they close April 15th.
2: Okay. Do your taxes and apply for the scholarship.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Tax day is coming right along that timeline, too. So that's great. Um, Yeah,
2: we will put a link to that in our show notes. But thank you, Alan. Appreciate the discussion and the information.
0: Thank you so much. I wish you
2: well in your recruitment endeavors. Thanks again to Alan Mather for coming into the studio and sharing with us about the Golden Apple program we all know how important education is, and particularly in New Mexico, addressing some of the challenges we have, I think is really important. So hopefully more New Mexicans take advantage of this scholarship. We will link to it again in our show notes.
1: And I think one of the things that we didn't directly mention in our conversation, but is important to note is that the program at large is open to students at tribal schools as well. So they also have people involved in this year's mentoring program that are from some of the various pueblos in new mexico so it is open to all not just folks that go to public schools in new mexico also tribal schools to run really quickly through some of the benefits that they offer here along with the mentoring and developing a support network there's that paid summer internship that was mentioned as well as just job placement assistance those are all things that they wrap up into this golden apple program which is pretty interesting
2: yeah good luck to them for sure we are always open to your story ideas this was an idea brought to us from one of our loyal listeners thanks henry always appreciate that feel free to email us message us on social media whatever your platform we will read your messages i'm at gabrielle.burkhart at krqe.com via email and GBurkNM on social media.
1: You can also reach me at Chris at KRQE.com and at Chris McKee TV. And for those who are listening, the reference to Inner Saboteur, yes, that is indeed from RuPaul Charles. Thanks for listening.